Welcome, folks, to another installment of The Revolutions Within Us. It's your guy, Dr. Shamar Charles. It's March, which means it's Multiple Myeloma Awareness Month, and I got a very, very special treat for y'all. Today we have with us an original king of comedy, former host of BET Comic View, turned book author, actor, and nationally syndicated radio host, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. D.L. Hughley. What's up, what's up? Hey, man, how you doing, Doc? You got to be the coolest doctor I've ever seen. It's like the black Doogie Howser. It's crazy. <laughs> thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Again, black thank really you so don't much. crack. Ain't that something genius? Man, man, listen, it's a lot of healthy eating, a lot of exercise, a lot of running, a lot of lifting, right? But <laughs> yeah, we man. out here doing it. We doing it. I know it. the feeling. I know the feeling. I know. And you talking about black don't crack, man. I see you all over the place, man. You got 50 million jobs. <laughs> <laughs> trying, 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 trying. Right. So, everybody, we're here to talk about multiple myeloma awareness and the That's My Word campaign, but I don't want to start there. I want to start with what you got going on. Recently, you hosted the iconic Daily Show. By the way, you did a phenomenal job. What was that experience like? You know, I've done so many iterations of these things. It was just, it it was great. I will say that two things that were different, you know, that is an institution, obviously, you alluded to the fact that it was iconic. And the fact that they have, you know, won all those Emmys and they stayed together as a staff. Right. It was the first time I worked with the staff and I was like, wow, they were, you know, obviously I worked with very talented people before this staff really knew the show and could retrofit the show for any person. I swear to God, if you just wrote what they said, you'd be all right. And so it was the first time I'd gotten a chance to work with somebody who was so in tune. But it was unfortunate my week we had there. Of course, the Tyree Nichols thing happened. So that was right a delicate balance of trying to make sure that we serve the comedic component of the show, but also uh, the social component. So that was an interesting confluence of things I have to go through. You're actually flowing with me right here. You know, it's hard for me as a Black man to not bring up some of the astonishing situations that I feel like we as Black people have to confront. Tyree Nichols, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. The fact that I could even list those off like that from street memory is like awful, right? Like, right. how do you, how do you, one, how do you film a show, you know, during, during these troubling times? And then how do you also preserve your own mental and emotional health during what seems like seemingly never ending bleak times? Well, you know, it's interesting for me. It's what I do all the time. Anyway, kind of, I think uh, um, there's a Latin term, a historian, is to bear witness. And I think these things continue to happen because people refuse to bear witness. They turn the other way and they pray that it doesn't happen to them. So I think one of the commitments I've made to myself, at least artistically and creatively, and just as a human being, is to make sure that people are bearing witness to what's going on. And the other, artistically, I know that people have a hard time observing such macabre scenes. And it's comedically, you have to cut the treacle with comedic or at least ironic bad support. And that's what I've always tried to do. But to not turn away and to not chronicle it is not an answer for me. Right, right. And you are always at the forefront and the precipice of anyone who's following you on social media knows that you attack these issues head on, right? So I try. Yeah. So I just want to thank you for that. I try. Um, and I also want to thank you for the flavor that you kind of brought to the show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thanks, no, I'm serious. I, I, you know, Thanks, I'm serious. Man. Like that flavor that you brought was, I was like, wow, because, you know, after Trevor left, you know, everybody was kind of nervous. Right. Um, but I feel like that energy that you infuse into the show, like I said, the show's iconic in and of itself on its own. But I think that when you have somebody of the community that you can relate to uh, in that way, it just makes everything so much better. So that man, that means the world to me. Thank you so much. Yeah. So thank you so much. So let me just kick it over and I'm going to just jump right into multiple myeloma awareness as a physician. 
I know that multiple myeloma is a silent killer of black people. You know, it's taken the lives of former Secretary of State Colin Powell right, and, right. and jazz legend Howard Tate. Right. But we rarely hear about it, right? And that's mostly because the symptoms are really vague, right? Fatigue, weight loss, loss right. of appetite, body aches, bone. Right. A, a lot of things can cause that. Everything you're scared of on WebMD. Everything you see on WebMD, you can be, yeah, you're right. They are okay. Right, right, vague. right. But you're at the forefront of this and you are officially a mental health advocate. So how did you get <laughs> into this? Like what kind of, you know, brought this to your consciousness and why are you part of this really important mission? Well, you know, what's interesting, I think that uh, one of the things that happened, of course, I got sick with COVID and passed out and had to go through all of those oh, tests and treatments. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. And so it was it was really that. And then I wrote this book about how to survive America. And it was talking about the disparate situations that black people find ourselves in because of bias and medicine and all the things that we've been through. And it has really caused this tenuous relationship between us culturally and your field, the medical field. And one of the reasons things get to be silent killers is because of silence. Right. I think that knowing something is easier than saying it out loud. Right. Knowing how you feel, knowing that you're not quite right, knowing that you're off, it's easier. But also when you do know those things, it's finding somebody who you trust enough because nobody's going to be a better arbiter for your health than you are. Mm -hmm. And you have to have somebody who assists you because having those symptoms is like trying to describe a sound to a mechanic. And if that mechanic doesn't know your car then it's that much more difficult to kind of assess what's going on. The reasons, I think the major part of any silent killer is the silence associated with it. And that one is the lack of knowledge and two is the lack of people being proactive and having these kinds of relationships that we know and conversations that we know we need to have with people like you to kind of live longer, healthier, more fulfilling lives. If we're silent from your perspective or ours, it can be detrimental. Right, because it's definitely a two-way conversation, right? I find that people with my platform, they get tired of Dr. Charles trying to sort of beat the same drum, right? Like right. eat healthy, exercise. Right. But we right. need people like you, right, who support us, who are active out there saying, hey, you know, what Dr. Charles is saying, this isn't hocus pocus. Like, we need to take this really right. seriously. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's, and it's really the same things. Eating better, moving more, drinking a lot of water, getting rest, all the things you know, it's that whole apple a day thing. The simplest things can have the most positive effects. Like I didn't know that vigorous exercise regularly helps offset any number of things, drinking water, resting, eating better. I mean, obviously there are things that hereditary will determine some things, but in terms of the quality of life and our ability to kind of deal with things, even if they do happen, really are based on how we are mentally and physically. And I think right, right. those are conversations we just don't have. Did you know that 93% of our health is accounted for by the environment? Only 7% of our health is accounted for by genetics. So you change the environment and, and literally you change people's health. Yeah, and I know you noticed this, but environmentally, where we live are always dirtier and more polluted. Mm -hmm. And so it causes a lot of things that, you know, like when I grew up, I had five people, seven people in my neighborhood that all had cancer, all of them, wow. seven people. Wow. And so that had an environmental impact. And one of the things that never happened is nobody came over to see where this kind of the source of this, this kind of cluster was coming from. The, the reason I wrote the book and particularly the reason I'm involved with this is because I think gone are the days where we can pretend like things don't exist. Gone are the days where we can pretend like the Tuskegee experiment has to be our lot in life now. We have to be more responsible stewards of our health. And 
we have to make not only ourselves aware, but the public at large aware of the things that we deal with in terms of research, treatment, protocols and all testing. All the things we need will require our participation and we can't just sit on the sidelines and hope these things just get better. And I think that's one of the reasons I got involved with it. Wow. You are literally, you're making me go to the glasses. Or at least I got to bring this paper. You know, I'm getting old now. So I got I to I bring the paper. <laughs> I know the feeling. I know the feeling. You ain't got to feel for that, do you, Doc? You got to feel for that. It's the worst. <laughs> well, let me go to the glasses. So according to the CDC, the American Cancer Society, and the International Myeloma Foundation, this year it's estimated that about 32,000 people will be diagnosed with multiple myeloma. 8,000 of those people will be black. So that is about 25%. We only make up 13% of the population, y'all. Sure. (laughs) So this is like not good. So that I think we all agree that there's a problem. Um, But we need to figure out how we can educate ourselves about this really mysterious condition. You spoke about something that was just so powerful. You're like, in my community, there were seven people that I knew that were afflicted by cancer, and you called it a cluster, right, right? Right. So you don't really need to have a deep science background to recognize that we have a problem, right? And a big one, <laughs> right? Right. What I'm amazed by is you went to school, and obviously you're proficient at what you do. That doesn't mean you're the arbiter of all that is right, but it's amazing how. I won't trust the doctor, but I'll trust somebody saying something on the internet. Wow. <laughs> hey, you know what I right, mean? Right, right. Telling me, you think that the CBD and elderberry and golden seal is the cure <laughs> for everything. And it's just, there is a certain amount of responsibility that we have to have. Knowing something is easier than saying it out loud. And that's one of the reasons, when I alluded to this earlier, killers get to be silent because we're silent. Wow. That's deep. We're silent about how we feel emotionally and physically. And a lot of how we feel physically has a lot to do with our mental health too. So they're symbiotic. But I also read this study where it talked about a black person having a black healthcare professional makes all kinds of outcomes better. And not that you're any more proficient than anybody else or any more study. It is a relationship you have where you're willing to go deeper, ask questions and form a trusting bond with your clients, right? uh, with your patients. And absent that, a lot of bad things can happen. Yeah, I totally... 100% agree with you on that, especially when, you know, your point about having a black provider or having a provider that looks like you. Right. Actually, um, in the multiple myeloma research, there is a ton of research now that shows that actually black people, people of African descent, although I just want to put a caveat out there for anyone who's listening, I believe everyone is from African descent. But anyway. Right, right, right. Don't do your DNA test, Wait, hang on. Right, right, right. Don't do it just yet. Right. But, but we but we are amongst sort of the highest treatment response groups to multiple myeloma right. treatment. The, the right. problem is we don't have access to the type of treatments. Exactly. Right? And it's not always affordable exactly. and sort of made available to us in right. the way that it should. But I did want to sort of just take a one step back. And I know that this might be deeply philosophical and you're probably like, oh, you know, this interview is kind of going left. But do you think part of our silence is because we are in the absence of truth? Sure. I think that part of our silence is absolutely that we have smothered truth in its crib. And now when we need it, it's nowhere to be found. Mm. We don't tell the truth about anything, anything. Right. Uh, even even culturally. Look at how many secrets black families keep. And, and even specifically about multimyeloma. Look at, at people who were sick from it, didn't know or didn't tell anybody. And then all of a sudden you get somebody 
who like Guru, I didn't know what he died of. And everybody was very silent about it. Nobody had these conversations. Because, you know, it's unfortunate when something happens to people. But what also happens is that they become aware of something and that activates something in them. Right. But if we aren't truthful with our families, ourselves, our surroundings, I think you're absolutely right. The absence of truth or the truth been mitigated to such a degree that it's really difficult to, to believe anything. And so, yeah, you're right. I, I lost a lot of my energy during the pandemic, but of a big course. part of it, no, no, a, a big part of it of was course, because yeah. if I heard one more 5G, yep. if I heard one more 5G when there is a virus out here yep. killing you, killing me, killing people in our community. Right. Or it ain't real. Right. Or it ain't, oh, or it ain't. Man. Or it's going to change my DNA. I'm like, and... I never trust a doctor who ain't got an office or a preacher who ain't got a church. Right. I just, I, I think you could go online and say these things. And one of the things that we wanted to be clear on in this particular campaign is because, you know, it's so vague and there's really nothing you can put your finger on in terms of the symptoms that people are experiencing. It could be kidney or it could be diabetes. Any, right. The bottom line, if those symptoms are in sequence, it's not a good thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So no matter what it turns out to be. But Look at the things that would happen to us if we knew things earlier. Right. If we knew things earlier. And if we rely on unreliable sources, which is, I think, really an assault on truth, then I think the reason, I don't know genetically why we're more predisposed to it, but I do know that our outcomes are better if we're treated early. And that has to be something we really hang our hats on because us knowing and then doing requires us being like I said, stewards, and being adults enough to assess out what's true or not and what matters. Not only does it bring us to truth when it comes to our health, but it also helps us, I guess I'm just like a double negative, but it helps us to not normalize our pain yes. and our discomforts. Yes. You know what I mean? Because yes. like I've had patients come in and they're like, I've been living with this for three, four, five years. Right. I'm like, I know, I know you don't want to feel like shit. Right. I know you don't. Right. I know you don't want to feel this way. You know, and I know that there was someone at some point you mentioned, hey, I felt like this and maybe you were ignored or maybe it was minimized. Right. And right. then that was the end of that conversation. Right. So just having these conversations, this is actually why I like and I engage with celebrity to some degree. The reality is if you're not going to listen to me, maybe you'll listen to DL. Maybe you'll listen. And to- that's sad. And, 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 that's and, really sad. It is sad. Yeah. But we got to make sure that people wake up and that people start listening to their bodies and talking about these things and just letting people know that it's OK to talk about these things. You know, it's. It's so funny because now you're hearing things that you never would have heard before, like taking care of your mental health and how important it is. COVID to me, and I think you alluded to this a little earlier, it really opened my eyes in terms of the way people process things, what they believe, what it's connected to. We really have a lot of people who distrust a lot of things based on things that they've heard. Like, why would you, my brother, I I have a, like, why would I listen to you? Can't keep a job, but you can tell me the uh, origin of a disease, and you can tell me the best treat. Right. Like it's it's just stupid, but this is real. One, this is it real. is, <laughs> and, and whether we want to admit it or not, and that's one of the things I just I never really understood how disparate our situation was until all the things that we could do to help ourselves, we don't. Right. And I shouldn't say we, but I think enough of us don't. Where it shortens our life. We live. Black men live less than anybody else right. because one of the reasons I wanted to get involved in something like this, 
imagine if we got the average life expectancy of everybody else. Right. How much time that would give us with our loved ones? How much more life we could experience? How many more things we could do? So, right. We have a statistic for that. We call that potential life loss. Yes. Right. Yes. We have the highest potential life loss. That's crazy. Yes. You know, we live on average. We live long enough for an old white lady to live off our social security. That's how long we live. Right. We die, right? <laughs> oh, my God. We die wow. soon enough so that so there's an old white woman. If they live the longest, they get to live off our social security. Right, right. So we, we don't get to enjoy it. We work, we die, and then somebody else enjoys the fruits of our life. That, when you put it like that, whew, that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you, but it's real. But it's yeah. real. And yeah. I, you know what? I know that, you know, again... This is going in a different direction. But I got to tell you, I want to give a big shout out to Charlemagne. Charlemagne, the God, like this brother oh, yeah. is at the forefront. I haven't had yeah. the opportunity to interview him and have him on the tube, but I will say that yeah. he is at the forefront of mental health awareness. And that is sure something is. that we really, we're talking about physical element here, but we do have to throw some praise where praise <laughs> needs to be thrown, if you know what I mean. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes even when they do placebos and use them, the mind is a powerful thing. It's not, let's not, you know, it, I, I don't know if it's as quantifiable as actual medical tests and all that, but we know that the mind can have a huge effect. Like when we're talking about multiple myeloma, I think one of the things that helps people is if they know what to do or what to look for. Like information settles us and gets us right. more focused on what we need to do and gives us a task. To your point about Charlemagne, it is one of those things where knowing something is easier than saying it out loud. And he says it out loud all the time. And I think it's given to your other point that once you hear a celebrity say something, it kind of registers. It does. And yeah. That's the perfect case in point. We do have one quantifiable measure just about this point, about just having people sort of with you, rooting for you in your corner. We can quantify like what we call uh, sources of social support. Sure. So if you're sick, and you have two, three, four, five people, sure. we actually find that those people who have higher numbers of social support, they actually have higher treatment response sure. rates. Sure. And it's insane because we don't know why that yeah. is. Like we can't be like, oh, you're increasing this hormone in your body right. or this protein is being produced. Right. We actually don't know why. Right. And that's because the mind and the heart are two organs that we understand it, but no. not, but not right. really and not enough. Right. <laughs> not really and not and enough. And that's really exacerbating when you're Black. And I do think that a lot of people, there's something about people of a like mind wishing people well and being there to support them. You could call it prayer, you know, whatever it is, but there is a catharsis. I don't know how quantifiable it is, like I said earlier, but there's got to be something very cathartic about knowing people care about you, rooting for you, praying for you, and supporting you that gives you maybe an extra element you didn't have. And you can see it in people that don't. Right. And I think you're doing that now. You truly embody the old adage, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> you know, you really sure. embody that. Sure. And, and so I just want you to explain for anyone who's listening, what is the, that's my word, campaign? How did you get involved? And how can people make their multiple myeloma promise? Well, I got involved because of all the things that were going on. And then I wrote this book and then I had conversations with some of the people involved in the campaign. And so it just became a natural fit since I tend to gravitate to, toward the things that affect us. Now, I'm a human being and obviously I'm affected by the thing. But in terms of the things that affect black people, they really pique my interest because I'm interested in us living longer, more fruitful, more productive lives. And so that's my word is to get the facts. You know, that is such a powerful statement to get the facts 
and to make sure that you know the facts, that you are talking to people about it, that you have a relationship with a doctor and that you get tested and screened and make sure that you're doing all the things you need to do to stay healthy. So that's just a no brainer to me. That seems to be right in my wheelhouse. So that's why it just became the thing for me to do, to be involved. If people want to get more information on the That's My Word campaign, where can they go? They can go to That's My Word online. That's My Word and get all the information they need. And this is not like one of those things where you go to WebMD. They've been very careful about the things they say and don't say. But all of it requires participation and it requires you being, like we were talking about earlier, a steward of your own health and having a relationship with a healthcare professional and making sure that you and your family are around for as long as you can. Amen to that. You're such a legendary just comedian, radio host, so many different things, and you play so many different roles. And then you play the roles that everyone else plays, right? Like you're a son, you're a dad, but you're, you're, right, you're, right, all, you're right, all the things. Right. But now you're taking on this role of health advocate. When you were growing up, did you ever imagine this trajectory? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh-huh. I, I never imagined care. Like, but I, I do think that when you watch what happens and people you love, you don't want to be an observer. You don't want to just be a passenger. And what do they say? If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And I, I don't want to be in the passenger seat, backseat driving. I want to be involved in the things that make the people I love and care about lives better. And sometimes that involves saying things they don't like to hear. So once I started having families and wanted and seeing what was going on around the world in terms of all the things that are impact us on a daily basis. I just don't want to be a passenger. Right. I, I want to end this on a high note because, man, that line, I don't want to be a passenger shit. I don't want to be a passenger either, right? Right. I want to drive this truck. You can't be. You're a doctor. And listen. You better not be a passenger. Listen, COVID took so much out of me. It took so much. <laughs> it took so much out of me. I know, it did. Because it was, it was like it doing did. double time, right? I always told myself, I always told myself, like, oh, I want to do something where I don't have to work overtime. And then I became a doctor right. and I worked double right. time, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> right. Well, you know, your problem is you're a caring doctor. You could not care. Right, right. Because my mom was a factory worker. You know, she was a, you know, union, blue-collar worker. And I was like, man, I never want to work overtime. And then I right. became a doctor. And, right. then, and then, like you said, a caring doctor. Right. And then, you know, I realized that, you know, I can never turn my back on any patient, but especially Black people and just right. in general. That's right. just the truth. Right. You know, so I, I just kind of want to end it with this. So much of what you do is you bring awareness to issues in general, period, dot. Right. So what can we expect from you? Do you have any new roles or projects that are, you know, just going to uplift us and kind of bring us comedic relief or just even just bring general awareness to us? We have a deal with Fox. And so we're waiting to see what happens in terms of reconstituting a version of the Hugans. Except I'm radio host with a gay daughter who just got married and the autistic son. Like it's my version of my life. And so... Whatever, like even the daily, so whatever incarnation lets me give information, make people laugh, and really just take a cervix vantage point of thing is what I like to do. So that's what I'm going to keep doing. I just, I just love the idea of giving information out and making people uncomfortable and seeing the reason. That's really, that's really it for me. That's a wrap, folks. Thank you, DL, for engaging me in this awesome conversation. I also want to thank all the people behind the scenes that helped pull this all together. 
If you want to learn more about this campaign and how to get involved, visit thatsmywordmm.com. You can also follow the conversation and make your own multiple myeloma promise on social media using the hashtags thatsmywordmm and also hashtag mmpromise. Again, that is hashtag thatsmywordmm and mmpromise. You may not have heard of multiple myeloma you may not know someone who's been affected by this silent and deadly disease, but when it affects one of us, it affects all of us. So I expect for you all to pass this information along to your friends and family, and I'll see you next month. We have 720 hours to make a change, and I can't wait to have our next conversation. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.